Volume 1, Chapter 12 of Evelyn, or A Heart Unmasked, a novel by Anna Cora Mowat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 12 The sun is in the heavens, and the proud day, attended with the pleasures of the world, is all too wanton. King John From the same to the same, January 2nd What a day of kindly feelings is the first of the year! It is so long since I have spent New Year's Day in any city of the Union where it is celebrated that the merry ushering in of the year in New York was doubly delightful to me. The poor lay aside their toil, and the rich forget their care, and the lady of fashion receives her guest with almost as hearty a welcome as the tradeswoman. It seems as though an influx of tender and kindly emotions descended from above and entered into men's hearts on this one day, impelling them to banish all bitterness from their souls, and therefore is this day devoted to social intercourse, and the interchange of friendly feelings. All petty misunderstandings are at an end, all disuniting coldness, and trivial differences forgotten. The door of every mansion is thrown invitingly open, every face is radiant with smiles, and every hand is grasped with warmth, although it may not have met ours for a twelve-month before. If there is one spark of neighborly love in the heart, it must be fanned into life by the genial influence of New Year hilarity." The breast that is cold on that general jubilee must indeed be loveless. As I have but few friends in the city, I accepted a seat on Evelyn's sofa, and an invitation to assist in receiving her visitors. The blazing fire gave an air of comfort to the elegant apartment. The couleur de rose curtains shed a roseate light throughout the room. Mrs. Willard, in her close, Quaker-like, most becoming new cap, and her plum-colored silk dress, falling in rich folds round her feet, sat with her back to the shaded window. I half suspect that the youthful clearness and softness of her complexion was produced by a cosmetic of her own concoction, and that she was not wholly indebted to nature for the unusually brown tint of her hair. But these are mere matters of surmise, for it is possible that the color of her hair and the texture of her skin vary with the weather. In one corner of the sofa sat Ellen. I took my place beside her. Evelyn had chosen her seat apart. She was sitting upon the eastern divan that, encircled by its luxurious satin cushions, stood in the midst of the room. Her face was unusually pale and robed in her snowy dress with the wreath of natural white chrysanthemums twined about her head, she might have represented the presiding genius of the day. Upon a side table stood a silver salver, 
furnished with wine glasses and various kinds of cakes, wines, and liqueurs. In addition to these refreshments, Mrs. Willard's hospitality, or housewifely pride, had provided a more substantial collation. The folding doors, thrown invitingly open, displayed a table in the back parlor, handsomely decorated, and crowded with perigords, pies, gelatins, pâté de foie gras, sandwiches, jellies, and every other type of delicacy for which room could be found. Nor were hot coffee and chocolate forgotten. We all assembled in the drawing-room before ten o'clock, for gentlemen who have one or two hundred visits to pay during the day must perforce commence at an early hour. The front door, as is customary, was flung open to give instant admission to the visitors. In spite of this precaution, we were surprised while taking our seats to hear the bell ring. The waiter, who answered its summons, a moment afterwards entered the parlor bearing a beautiful little rustic basket covered with geranium leaves. He presented the New Year's offering to Mrs. Merritt. Evelyn delightfully received it, and we all thronged round her to assist in removing the leafy coverings. Beneath lay a silver cornucopia studded with diamonds, a ring and a silver chain were attached to the cornucopia, and it contained a bouquet of the most exquisite greenhouse flowers. On one side, with a crescent formed of diamonds, was engraven the single word, Evelyn. I remarked that the flowers were entirely white, and that Evelyn also wore no color. Could this have been merely a coincidence? Evelyn's cheek flushed with pleasure as the bouquet passed from hand to hand, and we all wondered whence it came. I at first thought that the donor was Mr. Merritt, but Evelyn bore his New Year's gift and an emerald bracelet on her arm. The crescent on the cornucopia reminded me of Golnaire's dress in the tableau, and the present was obviously from one who witnessed and admired the representations. But this afforded us but a slight clue, for a large number of Mr. Merritt's friends had been present, and the tableau won very general applause. While we were still examining the bouquet, the enlivening sound of merry bells greeted our ears. Rapidly flew the winged sleighs over the new-fallen snow, and now the trampling of hasty feet was heard ascending the front steps. We all rose to receive our visitors, who crowded in, and a happy new year, happy new year, followed by the shaking of hands resounded from every side. Healths were drunk, the collation tasted by some, the cake crumbled, not eaten, by others, and the guests disappeared again, giving place to newcomers who passed through the same ceremony. Very few remained over five minutes, but many friendly compliments could be interchanged in that short space of time. Most of our guests made a bustling entree, with the salutation of Happy New Year on their lips, but some few aspiring individuals despised this olden form, 
one young favorite of the muses as he believed himself to be because he had bribed an editor to give the world one of his rhapsodies in print stalked up to evelyn on entering and pointing to the ceiling and to the carpet exclaimed the bridal of the earth and sky another gentleman who from his sanctimonious air i knew to be a pillar of the temple ejaculated as he made his appearance heaven hath blessed the day and blessed the year then came richard crimsoned with excitement and agitatedly elbowing the crowd that surrounded his mother and sisters once at their side he audibly saluted them in turn and not without discomposing their dresses by his rude embrace after this ceremony he deliberately flung himself upon the divan beside evelyn and saying as there were not many visit he thought worth paying he would stay and see the folks in vain his mother attempted to convince him that the presence of the gentleman of the house was never expected on similar occasions and that a brother stood in the same relation as a host he acknowledged that the compliment and said that he felt himself there in the capacity of the host and resolutely kept his seat Evelyn's conversation was constantly interrupted by his strange remarks and puzzling queries. His familiar address and grotesque appearance elicited general and ill-disguised astonishment. Still, there, extended full length upon the divan, he reclined. Mrs. Willard now stationed herself immediately in front of him, that he might be concealed from the view of a large number of her guests, but at each new arrival he pertinaciously drew aside the folds of his mother's dress, and his long, sallow face quizzically peered out from behind them. As a means of getting rid of such immediate proximity, Mrs. Willard lured him into the back parlour to partake of the collation. She left him seated at the table, confident that he was provided for during the next half hour. But his meal was short, just as she was receiving some of the most fashionable of her friends. She found him at her side again. He resumed his seat on the divan, and with his mouth full, stuttered out, capital liver complaint that goose died of pity warn't a fashionable disease with the geese of this country i like your patties of goose liver very much only there aren't so confounded dear it won't do to walk into one every day mrs willard now angrily insisted on his taking his leave and to our great delight he prepared to obey we were rejoicing to behold him stepping over the door-sill when he evidently ran back again and called out in a tone evvy by the by haven't seen the colonel to-day have you splendid fella ain't he evvy just the man he'd have been for you he beats walter hollow you're a great favorite of his i can tell you that 
and he's pretty squeamish in particular, too, about whom he likes. He and I are the greatest cronies in the world. If I meet him, I'll send him to you. Goodbye. Happy New Year. Richard took his leave, and Mrs. Willard breathed freely again. Although Mrs. Willard and Ellen and I were extremely merry, Evelyn was not as lively as usual. She looked anxious and expectant, and I observed that every time the door opened, her eyes glanced in that direction, and her face brightened. And when the visitor entered, a cloud as though of disappointment passed over her features. She has grown capricious and strange and variable. Indeed, she is quite incomprehensible. Could it have been Colonel Damoreau for whom her expectant eyes were searching in vain? That it was he, I felt convinced when towards the close of the day he entered the apartment. Evelyn, who was wearied and now received her guest sitting, instantly started up. Her brow cheek and neck crimsoned, and the hand which he slightly touched obviously trembled. His demeanour towards Evelyn was unusually distant and reserved, although to us he was all frankness and suavity. Once only I glanced at the bouquet which was suspended by a chain from Evelyn's finger. Her eyes rested upon the flowers at the same moment and as she raised them, glances met. Again, Evelyn blushed deeply, and Colonel Damoreau smiled, that winning, thrilling smile, so dangerous and so peculiarly his own. The bouquet, then, was his gift. I now felt no doubt that I had divined aright. The Colonel made but a short stay. From the moment of his entrance, Evelyn's wanted gaiety returned, and after partaking of a late and hasty dinner, we spent the rest of the evening in rather boisterous merriment. January 4th Mrs. Willard has just communicated a piece of information which surprised me much. In a few months, our lovely Evelyn will become a mother. Little calculated as she is to ensure by her maternal care and guardianship the future happiness of her child, still I rejoice at the prospect of her maternity. That infant will be a lasting bond of union between her and her husband, and such a bond, I fear, has never yet existed. There is not that community of spirit that perfect confidence established between them, without which a wife is not spiritually wedded. Since her acquaintance with Colonel Damoreau, Evelyn has gradually awakened to a consciousness that she did not really love Walter, and it is essential to her existence that she should love. She now feels the besoin d'amier, and her heart must be filled. Would that she had never seen Colonel Damoreau. His strong, impulsive will exerts a most powerful influence over her unregulated mind. Of late she often shuns him with tremulous eagerness, as though she saw her own impending danger. And yet one moment she avoids, 
the next she is insensible and irresistibly drawn towards him. She is like one walking on the very brink of a precipice, and unless she looks upwards for support, reason will forsake her, and she must plunge headlong into the abyss from which there is no return. I have told you that her temperament was highly nervous, and she seems at times to experience a warning presentiment which makes her dread the fascination of Colonel Damoreau, and instinctively fly from him. But there are feelings in her breast which cry out louder than the gentle voice of conscience, and she flies to return again. She may suffer much in struggling with her own growing passion, yet in the end she must be victorious. Then she is about to become a mother, and the whole intense and long unengrossed love of her soul will concentrate upon her child. This is my hope, the hope in which I trust and rejoice. End of chapter 12